There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast, your weekly dose of talking about watching soccer on TV, online and apps. Coming up on episode 59, we discuss why the Miami expansion team will have big implications for Major League Soccer, which MLS club has signed a deal with YouTube TV, more details about the new ESPN Plus streaming service, and our thoughts about the trials and tribulations of VAR from the last week. And of course, we've got uh, the letters from you listeners in our mailbag section. My name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and I'm joined today by Kartik Krishnaya. Now, for those listeners who are new to this show, uh, we dive in pretty deep into, into the analysis of the soccer media. So whether it's on television, online or apps, uh, talking often about commentators and uh, production values and, and also talking about games that we enjoyed, uh, of course, this past week. Uh, and the big thing, the big talking point, Kartik, is uh, let's start off with VAR. I'm just, I mean, obviously the Bundesliga, Major League Soccer and Serie A have been trialing it, uh, but with the FA using it for the FA Cup and uh, the League Cup, I don't think that we're ready for um, prime time. I don't think that we're ready for the Premier League to start this uh, next season. What do you think? No, I, I don't think so either. I mean, obviously, that Liverpool-West Brom game was a debacle because of VAR. Look, quite frankly, I don't think the Bundesliga has done a good job with it. I, I think I've said this on this show pre- previously. There are too many stoppages. There are too many long stoppages. The stoppages don't um, happen with any rhyme or reason. Usually, they get the call, uh, the correction of the call or confirm the call correctly. Sometimes they haven't in Bundesliga matches. Now, Major League Soccer has taken a much more conservative approach under the direction of Howard Webb, obviously former Premier League official, top Premier League official, uh, to uh, VAR in that uh, they only review certain things or only have stoppages for certain in certain occasions, which has allowed a lot of uh, questionable calls to stand in Major League Soccer without review. So uh, VAR isn't disrupting MLS matches as much as they're disrupting Bundesliga matches. But then um, the purpose of VAR, which is to get all these calls right, isn't happening in Major League Soccer. You go to um, the Liverpool Forest game uh, on uh, Saturday and... uh, Oh, sorry. uh, uh, Liverpool West Brom game, yeah. 
Yeah, Liverpool-West Brom match in, in the FA Cup. And you had all sorts of uh, confusion about uh, uh, calls. Now, the West Brom goal that was disallowed by VAR was probably the correct call. But again, there was a delay. Uh, the goal for West Brom, the one goal Jay Rodriguez scored, uh, there was a delayed reaction. He, he, he uh, hesitated to celebrate because there was going to be a VAR review. And uh, it's even going to affect how players celebrate and indulge in their in their goals. Um, it was a debacle at the Confederations Cup. Remember the end of that Mexico-New Zealand game? I think it has not gone well in Germany. Uh, Italy, it's been... Yeah, it's been questionable, honestly, how well it's gone. And in Major League Soccer, it went okay. But again, that's under the direction of Howard Webb, who is conscious of having constant stoppages in matches and doesn't want to do that. So there are several um, questionable calls that took place in MLS matches after VAR was implemented that weren't reviewed. So that's that's kind of the, the landscape. And if the Premier League wants to jump into that. Um, it's not like goal line technology. Those who say, well, it's a logical next step. Uh, goal line technology is instantaneous. This is, um, this is something. And, and uh, uh, before I finish, let's remember what happened with Martin Atkinson. I believe he was the official for the first leg of Chelsea um, Arsenal. When I thought that there was, and, and I was not alone in the, Victor Moses clearly committed an infraction on Maitland Niles uh, in the area and um, wasn't even reviewed. Mm-hmm. Now, now uh, it didn't matter in the long run because Arsenal won the tie anyway. But had Chelsea uh, advanced to the League Cup final, we'd still be talking about that and VAR not doing its job in that occasion. Yeah, the, the two main issues with, with VAR are still the same ones that uh, have uh, been apparent for several well, several months now. The first of all, the first of which is uh, the delay. So, for a four-minute delay in that Liverpool West Brom game to determine whether uh, a goal was a, should have been a goal or not is is absolutely ridiculous. That is way too long. And and the second issue is really kind of the the, the communication. So, the Man City game uh, that we watched. Um, this past week, we had, uh, which was the FA Cup game, I think it was. Um, Silver had scored a goal against Cardiff, but then there was mass confusion. There was mass confusion. The commentators didn't know why the the goal had been disallowed. Um, there was confusion among the players, among the the coaches, among the fans in the stadium. Uh, ultimately, the correct decision was made, and and that's the thing. At the end of the day, all these. The VAR does help make correct decisions, but it's happening way too slowly and there's mass confusion. So I think there is a way to fix this. I think there is a way to uh, speed up the the review to make sure that it's it's still a correct review without rushing it. Um, but also to communicate uh, from the referee to the players and to the coaches and the fans and the commentators and the TV viewers. I think you really have to mic up the, the referees. And have a system so that we're hearing what the referee is saying, for instance, when there are VAR uh, or there is VAR. Because otherwise, you know, I mean, we're just trying to guess what the referee is doing and then looking at the body language, looking at, you mean, is he raising, is, is the linesman or the, the assistant referee raising his flag or not? And which way is he pointing? Is, is it an offside decision, et cetera, et cetera? Um, it's just, I think, to, at this point, it's just mass confusion, and I, I think, I don't, I think the, ref, the Premier League, which they're having a meeting soon to determine whether or not to roll out VAR, I think they should wait. 
Interestingly, Kartik, I went ahead and posted a, a poll on Twitter this past week, and there was about 400 people that uh, responded. And the question was, which league or competition has implemented VAR in the most effective way so far? And I wanted to find out what uh, what you, the listeners and, and uh, Twitter followers, uh, said. Interestingly, uh, the Bundesliga came in with 39%. They came in in first place. Uh, second place was uh, Major League Soccer with 27%. Third place was uh, the FA for the FA Cup and League Cup with uh, 22%. And then last, uh, Serie A with uh, 12%. But I think even though the Bundesliga one isn't perfect, Kartik, I think the perception of it is that it's been done effectively. And I think a lot of that, to me, is for the TV viewer. The graphics they have on screen, the split screen where you see kind of the, uh, I, think in, I think it's in Munich, or, where, or, or, or Cologne, wherever, wherever the, the, uh, the VAR video assistant referee uh, studio is. Um, the perception is is that it's been controlled better, but but again, it's not perfect either. But Kartik, what do you think? I mean, do you think that this is something that can be resolved, or are we going to kind of go through this where it's going to be just a seem, seemingly uh, just a, a slow and laborious process to figure out how how to refine this to get it to a point where it is going to work? Chris, quite frankly, I think it's. Um, at this point, uh, uh, non-starter, right? I think he, he needs to be shelved for the foreseeable future. That's my opinion. Until they can get this right, they made a promise to supporters and to people who are skeptics that they wouldn't have these two, three, four-minute delays. I've seen it in the Bundesliga several times, and now we've seen it in England uh, this year. Uh, the delays in MLS were manageable. As I mentioned, uh, Howard Webb. Howard Webb, he personally had kind of turned me around on the whole VAR issue when I went to uh, a presentation he gave, and, and I had a, a long chat with him afterward, so, uh, right when MLS implemented VAR. But it, it, it's gone one way in MLS, and I think the, the right way, but not every call is is necessarily corrected versus what's happened elsewhere. Um, but you could argue, because in Major League Soccer, they're not correcting everything, they're missing things, that there's no, it's, it's, it's a useless tool. I don't know that it's entirely useless. Um... It's a tough one because I, supporters like to complain. Supporters and people around the game like to constantly complain about officiating. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, uh, their tool to correct those mistakes is either A, too laborious and not efficient enough, as we're seeing, or B, doesn't correct all the mistakes. Right. So maybe there's something beautiful about football being a sport without the kind of stoppages that all the American sports, American invented sports have. Yeah. That's, that's the big issue for me is, is that this is disrupting the enjoyment of the game. So whether you're a TV viewer or whether you're a spectator in the stadium, uh, it is disrupting the game because yes, you mean you celebrate a goal and then all of a sudden, you mean the referee does the VAR symbol and it goes, goes to the VAR. Now, if it's a speedy, you mean within, 10 seconds within 30 seconds tops uh, decision made on something that uh, they can look at and go, yeah, that's a goal or that isn't a goal. That isn't as bad. But when you have like two minute delays, four minute delays, it's just, it's not destroying, but it is disrupting the enjoyment of the game. And, and, and that's the beauty of soccer in many ways. It's, it's a fast flowing game, very, uh, very few interruptions and I think soccer really needs to find that balance between, okay, let's figure out what we can use technology for um, and also um, 
what 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 we shouldn't use technology for, and figure out what that is. And, and that's in this, that's the, the stage that we're in thus far. Of all the VARs I've seen so far, I think the Major League Soccer one actually to me is one of the better ones. It's not perfect by any means, and issues with that too. But in terms of the flow of the game, that one has been better, uh, in my opinion, from what I've seen from these other leagues. Yeah, I think that this is uh, this is the, the big talking point because also from a television perspective, which we cover on this show, uh, football matches fit in a two-hour window unless it's a, a cup match that might go to extra time, right? They neatly fit into a two-hour window. Very rarely uh, are there scheduling issues, maybe if there's some sort of delay. Now, here in the U.S., we have all kinds of problems because we play through the summer and there's always lightning delays. But um, in terms of European football, English and German football in particular, since those are on the major networks in this country, uh, they fit nicely into a two-hour window. Now, what VAR is doing is threatening to make it just like the American sporting events. I, the only other sport I watch really closely uh, is college basketball. I've said that a number of times on this show. And college basketball is now unbearable because obviously there's always been an element of overtime. But if the games didn't go to overtime, they used to not go over a two-hour window. Uh, there's a set number of timeouts, there are a set number of TV timeouts, that's it. Um, but now that they're reviewing uh, uh, plays in college basketball, particularly in the last two minutes of games, um, it, where they have to review everything, and even review if a guy was standing on the line for a three-pointer, some of these college basketball games are going two hours and 15 minutes, two hours and 30 minutes, bleeding into the next program, which all, in some cases, we saw it with MLS Cup, is a soccer match. We don't want our sport to be in that position. We already have the critiques from people in uh, in and around the United States saying, well, it's more difficult to monetize uh, showing football matches, soccer matches on television because of the um, uh, lack of uh, stoppages and lack of commercial breaks. They figured out how to do that now, right? Mm -hmm. So if you start having uh, soccer matches bleed into the coverage of other sporting events, uh, it creates all kinds of problems. I'll, I'll go back to the, the time when... Uh, uh, there was a delay at the Stadium of Light. Manchester United was playing Sunderland, and that game was on ESPN. It bled into coverage of a Miami Hurricanes versus Clemson Tigers college football game because there was like a 15-minute delay because there, there was the lights were out in the uh, in the stadium, I think, including in the uh, dressing rooms. And you had all of these critics saying, oh, who wants to watch soccer? Why is it on? Why is it taking away the first minute, maybe, or kickoff of a, of a college football game that was going to last four hours? Um so, uh, again, I, I, I mean, since we're kind of in our infancy also in, in, in getting this sport recognized in the mainstream in the United States, I don't want to be in that position where we're alienating people because things are running over a two-hour window. Um, VAR, VAR can wait. That's my opinion. Yeah, one, one last thought on this before we move on, Kartik, and that is maybe that um, maybe soccer needs something from, uh, from tennis where each team has two calls. So in, in a match of 90 minutes, they're allowed to, uh, I mean, if there's a, something that they see that they believe is controversial, uh, they can take one of their two calls and have the referee look at that uh, versus, I mean, in the FA Cup match, the, the Liverpool-West Brom game, it seemed that every single incident, I mean, it w went down to a, a VAR. And it, again, it disrupts the game. So maybe limiting the number of VARs that you can use in a game and letting the coaches decide when, when or when not they want to use that, maybe that'll help us with, with the flow. All right, Kartik, let's move on. So, so what, uh, what else have you been watching this past week? 
I watched the Bayern Hoffenheim game Saturday morning. Uh, got, everyone got excited when Hoffenheim was up 2 0. Uh, some great play from Serge Gnabry, who was on loan uh, at Hoffenheim for Bayern. By the way, uh, in Germany and in most UEFA member countries, you, you can't write in these provisos that they do in England, where if uh, you face a player, uh, for example, I, Robin Mustard got into it yesterday. Uh, Islam Slomani has been loaned to uh, Newcastle. That's, that's a, a sign of potentially. Uh, from Leicester could keep Newcastle in the league. Uh, however, they still play Leicester once. And so you already have 14 games left in the season. He's going to miss three or four games with injury. Uh, he's coming off an injury. Then you've got a match against Leicester, which he can't play in. So he's only going to be there for about nine games. Um, you don't have that, that uh, restriction in Germany. So Navri plays, he draws a penalty. Uh, he, he scores the second goal. So Hoffenheim is up 2-0. What a response from Bayern. Uh, they win 5-2. Uh, Newport, uh, uh, hosted Spurs. Uh, great night uh, for football, great atmosphere in Wales and in, in your home country. Chris, uh, I hope you caught this because it was uh, it had a, an occasion feel uh, at the Newport County ground. Uh, Spurs were well off the pace. Uh, they were fortunate to get an equalizer late. Uh, got, got, got the sense that uh, they're beginning to, to, to hit a wall, uh, but then that sense uh, promptly disappeared in the in the first uh, 15 seconds of the match on Wednesday against Manchester United. We'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, uh, yeah that, that, that match I, I did miss, actually, but I listened to it on the radio, listened to it on Talk Sport. Uh, I think I was going to one of my kids' uh, AYSO soccer games. But uh, great atmosphere. And, and then I caught the highlights a little bit later. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, that was a great FA Cup encounter. Yeah, and it's great for Newport to get a replay because uh, that, that's going to be uh, very lucrative for the club financially. Uh, Liverpool, West Brom, I think we've gone through that match. It, was a, it, was a, it would have been such an enjoyable match if it hadn't been for VAR, uh, but VAR is the talking point from that match. Uh, I've um, spent more time this week watching the, uh, the ancillary program, the uh, supplemental programs on NBC Sports Gold Chris, and I have actually watching football, and that's a byproduct of the transfer window. So uh, NBC Sports Gold uh, has been a frustrating piece of um, uh, piece, uh, additional piece that we've had to purchase, right, this season for so many supporters. But this week, I got so much use out of it, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, because of the transfer window. Um, so each day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I watched – the 30-minute Premier League news program and the one-hour-and-a-half Premier League Today program. And if you have NBC Sports Gold, uh, you, can, you can flip it on now on your iPad or your, your Android device or your Roku or whatever you're watching, using to watch NBC Sports Gold and go back and watch this coverage. It may be anticlimactic now, right, because the window is passed. But uh, really good stuff. So I would say I, I had to go, to go to my office in Miami Monday and Tuesday uh, both days I came back and watched two hours of, of, of uh, Premier League gold, uh, non-match coverage. Um, and then same thing on Wednesday, watching both those things live, actually. And then obviously supplemented that with ESPN FC and uh, NBC's uh, excellent studio coverage on Wednesday as a transfer window pass. But uh, yeah, I, I, we'll see how the rest of the season goes, Chris, but get those programs, I have to say, may have changed my opinion of NBC Sports Gold. I'm thinking, yeah, maybe it's worthwhile. Maybe I should have done the same thing in August and watched all those programs yeah. uh, as the window passed. Although, quite frankly, the uh, the end of the August window wasn't um, quite as dramatic as yesterday. Yesterday, there was a lot of activity for a January window. 
lot of big moves. Yeah, um, so, I think I, I think with NBC Sports Gold, uh, this is probably myself included, and probably a lot of listeners who have subscribed. Is we forget about all of that shoulder programming. I mean, now when I signed up for the service back in August, uh, I probably watched it every day for maybe like a week. Was watching kind of the you know, the Premier League news show, which is really good, and uh, I mean the fantasy Premier League show with uh, James Richardson and so on and so forth. But over time, I, I, I mean, I, I, probably the last time I watched it was probably about four or five months ago. The shame of it is, is that uh, NBC Sports has access to a whole ton of other programming uh, from Premier League productions that's even better than what, what, what's on there already. But for whatever uh, reasons, they haven't shared that on the NBC Sports Gold. Now, maybe that's something in the future. Maybe if they continue NBC Sports Gold, uh, which they said that they're going to consider it. They're going to consider. They're going to review it and dis- decide whether or not to continue it next season. But if they do, there's so much other, other programming they, they could add on that would provide even greater value. But that's a good point, Kartik, for those myself included, and probably many of our listeners who might have forgotten that we we do have access to that content. And I mean, it's definitely worth watching uh, whenever anyone gets a chance. Yeah, I mean, I I kind of stumbled upon it because I decided um, I would. Uh, go on NBC Sports Gold to see uh, what the uh, the midweek coverage was going to be like uh, on there and, and, and particularly the Man City game and stumbled upon it Monday evening and then promptly on Tuesday, continuing with the week, promptly on Tuesday because of meetings and the Beckham thing, which we're going to talk about later uh, and the situation with NASL and the situation with our uh, NPSL Sunshine Conference here in uh in Florida, which I, people who are listening might know that we've had two NASL teams uh, join our conference in NPSL in the last uh, last couple of uh, uh, days. And I'm actually, after we're done recording, I'm running off to a, a meeting regarding NPSL uh, and the conference. Uh, I, I had forgotten, quite frankly, about the games that I had been checking on the previous night. Then around 3.30, uh, meeting breaks up. Uh, one of the people in the meeting asked me, hey, do you know where I can find the Nottingham Forest game? Uh, a British person and I said oh wow 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 okay um, that's right we have Premier League games this weekend now, of course that's a championship game and, and I, I told him about ESPN3 but um, flipped on Swansea Arsenal and got to watch that debacle um, from uh, from Arsenal in the second half but I have to say uh, I, I, I loved and you, and you know I told you this uh, offline when uh, the managerial change was made at Swansea, I loved the appointment. I felt like he was an energetic, uh, infectious character is how I would describe uh, when he was at Sheffield Wednesday. He was able to will them with his personality and his man management skills to the playoff final uh, in 2016. They were unfortunate, in my opinion, to lose that to uh, to um, uh, Hull. 2017, they... Um, they were pretty good again, Sheffield Wednesday this is, and lost uh, to Huddersfield on penalty kicks in the playoffs. So he gets sacked uh, after they lose to uh, Wolves in the uh, championship, a match that Sean Champion called and I watched live, and, and uh, it, it was all about uh, uh, Carver Law and how that was going to uh, play out for for him. He gets the Swansea manage, manage, uh, manager's job, and, and I said to you, eh, what a pity. I, I rate him pretty highly as a manager, but He's going to be remembered for this failure because Swansea is so far from uh, competitive in the Premier League. Well, guess what? A manager can make that kind of difference. Yeah. Um, and then I think personally, Chris, with the with the uh, reuniting of the IU brothers, I think at this point, in my opinion, after that move was made at the deadline from West Ham, 
Swansea will stay in the Premier League. Knock on wood for you, but that's my opinion now. It's uh, it's sure looking that way. I mean, it's one of those things that I mean, Swansea is bound to hit a patch, a bad patch at some point, and uh, when that's going to be, we'll have to wait and see. But uh, I mean, what makes it the most interesting thing for me, Kartik, and and I'm sure for a lot of our listeners, is for you look at the Premier League now for the basically the the, the, the bottom ten teams. All of them are going to be staring, looking down, going like, oh, gosh, you know, Swansea's coming back, coming up now. They're a second from bottom. Um, there is a, I mean, a good chance that any of those bottom, uh, bottom 10 teams could get relegated. So now it makes the relegation battle a, I mean, a more of a frenzy uh, than it was before. And uh, adds, especially with Manchester City running away with the title, it now puts the, the relegation battle... Uh, even more in the spotlight and it's going to be I think a lot of uh, actually in the next few weeks I'm sure there's going to be some more managers uh, getting sacked I mean Pellegrino at Southampton I'm sure is going to get sacked pretty soon if Southampton continue to stay where they are uh, and there'll be other ma- uh, clubs too looking at their managers going okay I mean is this the right person to help help us stay up Huddersfield dropping down Brighton having a tough time etc so yeah it's um it's been entertaining and, and actually of course for me personally I've loved it um, I was just surprised at how uh, how much lack of a fight there was in this Arsenal team I was expecting something yeah. a lot stronger but uh, but now with some of the uh, transfer deadline signings and, and movings comings and goings maybe the, it, actually for, for a lot of the t- these teams maybe it'll be uh, some some different performances um, whether better or worse uh, in the next couple of weeks look I, I don't know uh I think Chelsea has, is 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 uh, transfer business is very curious to me with uh, bringing in uh, guys like Ross Barkley lately and, and kind of uh, uh, targeting the likes of Ashley Barnes and and uh, and uh, Andy Carroll, but uh, they, they've gotten Olivier Giroud, which might just keep them in the top four. I, I don't know what Arsenal is doing. If there's been a quit there, if there's a disconnect, as Robbie Musto and Robbie Earl seem to indicate between Wenger now and the new director of football. Power is being wrestled away. Players are confused. Um, I am so, I am also confused myself because I thought the thing was just falling apart, and then you see Ozil has apparently agreed to extend and stay at Arsenal, which uh, I did not expect. I expected him to walk at the end of the season. So, uh, but there was no fight in that match. There was no fight in the match against Bournemouth um, a few weeks uh, back. A uh, similar circumstance where they they took a lead and then uh, were. were uh, undone by defensive errors. I think it might have ended up with the same scoreline. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm confused by Arsenal. On Wednesday, uh, I, I it was weird, Chris. What's your what, what's your thought about Wednesday? Because uh, we had seven Premier League fixtures, but we also had a transfer deadline, and. Um, <laughs> It was difficult, really, to focus on the matches, to be honest with you. I mean, the Riyad Mahrez saga for Man City had ended before kickoff, although then there were rumors circulating that Johnny Evans, who and Man City was playing West Brom, which made it very awkward, that Johnny Evans was going to be held out of the squad and was going to be transferred to Manchester City by the uh, before the uh, deadline, which would have been about an hour after the match. It turned out Evans was injured. Uh, City has ended their interest in Evans uh, when they got Laporte. But that rumor started to circulate. 
And um, it was just a weird thing. You know, you've got Giroux coming in, uh, uh, being introduced to, to, the, to the crowd at the bridge. You've got um, you've got Lucas Mora coming in, being announced to the crowd at um, at Wembley. You've got Aubameyang being unveiled by Arsenal uh, simultaneous or almost simultaneous with the kickoffs of, of these other games. It was very bizarre. And this is what the Premier League and I think Premier League managers wanted to avoid when they voted to move uh, the, the, the August window and it closed it before the season began. Uh, it's really ironic. It's kind of a paradox. After they vote to do that, you see the kind of confusion created in the January window by having uh, all of this go on. And I'll be honest, I watched uh, NBC and NBC Sports Gold probably, and, and ESPN FC, all of that combined for probably six or seven hours on Wednesday. Wow. Really devoted my day to it. There was very little football I watched in that period. It was all this other stuff. So what was your opinion of that? Closing the window on a match day. Well, closing, yeah, closing the window on the match day. Um, I, mean, I, I mean, it's just kind of bad luck in terms of the, the, the way the schedule is set up. And then the, the, the uh, you mean that the last day of the month ends on a Wednesday. Uh, I do think that, it, especially in the summertime, in that tra- summer transfer window, is that they need to have that over before the season start because it's just... It's it is mayhem, but for me personally, Kartik, I, I've really tuned out uh, out of this whole transfer deadline day mayhem. Mm. Um, I, I've really kind of because it, it it used to be maybe a couple of years ago something I'd, I'd be watching all day long, up up until the minute, at minute by minute. Okay, looking at all the different social media sources, looking at all the different YouTube channels, listening to radio, having the, the television on, and being so tuned into that so that you mean one move would happen, and and then you mean then there'd be a domino effect and now another club would sign another player. But the reality is, is that to me at least, uh, is that it is, it's a lot of talk, but very little action. So yes, there are deals that, are, that come through, but I, <laughs> the take I take on it is that uh, I'm just going to sit back and just enjoy the football, watch the games. And then what a deal is done, uh, I'll find out. And even if it's like maybe half an hour after it's done i'm okay with that because i'm not because otherwise it's like add you're just like running around crazy like it's hard to concentrate so i've just i've just kind of blocked that off and then just enjoy the matches and and then uh you mean if deals are done uh i'll find out about them in a, in a nice leisurely play, uh, pace where i'm not gonna get stressed out all right, Kartik, so in terms of some of the stuff I've been watching this past week, uh, FA Cup matches, a bunch of those, Copa del Rey, so uh, Barcelona against Espanyol with uh, Coutinho's uh, debut. Uh, something I, I watched this this past week, Kartik, for the first time I've watched it in probably three or four years, and it's just by accident that came across it, was the, uh, the Keys and Grey show. And uh, usually I don't watch this show because I, I don't really... Uh, value uh, keys at all. I mean, Gray definitely a little bit more, but uh, but the segments I watched on the show were actually really well done. There was one on Coventry City. Um, they interviewed one of the Coventry City supporters groups. Uh, uh, I guess uh, presidents, I guess, uh, and their current situation with the Rico Arena. And that's an interview, or that's a topic that otherwise you wouldn't hear about on U.S. television. You mean ESPN's not going to cover it? Uh, neither is NBC or Fox or anyone else, unless it becomes a major, major story. But that I thought was really interesting. And then they also had an interview with uh, the Oval manager about the car crash that uh, almost ended his life and how that changed uh, his perspective. And I thought that was a really 
great exclusive interview that they did that was in-depth. That's something that uh, Fox didn't do, even though I think they did mention it in passing. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I haven't watched the show as much recently because I, I, um, I only get BN on Fubo. I mean, I used to DVR the show when I used to pay for BN, BN on my cable system and, and go back and watch it every week. And there was always – Keys and Gray are, are, are annoying and have their very – um, dated views of, of the sport, uh, to say the least, and, and uh, we know uh, uh, in terms of uh, uh, sexism and things, you know, their history and, and uh, healing for Cutter. But there is always a feature or two on that show that are worth watching. Every week, I would find, and it was usually about a lower league team. So the Coventry piece is is, is well taken. I mean, I still. Uh, it's funny. I was having a conversation with someone the other day. Uh, around one of these meetings related to NPSL or, or uh, NASL, etc., about Coventry, how um, the European ban, because of Heisel, may have cost that club, uh, that everything that happened after may have been a result of them missing out on Europe um, the one time because they were banned. Um, and that would have been their, their, their uh, foray into continental football, and it was denied to them. And, and that was interesting. I've heard that from what I think it's Watford supporters or. Uh, maybe Wimbledon supporters, another group of supporters also mm-hmm. in the past, how, how the European ban impacted their uh, their uh, uh, long-term fortunes. But I digress. I, yeah, Keys and Gray always has something worth watching. Um, so if you have BN on your cable system or your satellite provider and you're able to DVR it, I would recommend doing that. I uh, get past the, cr- uh, the kind of curmudgeons that those two guys have become uh, in time and, and, and focus on some of the content. And did they have John Cross or, or a reporter on too to maybe uh, discuss? Well, yeah, I only caught probably uh, maybe about 20 minutes of the show. So it's towards the end. Um, so I'm not sure. But but to me, it's probably a good show to re- record and then fast forward. Yeah. <laughs> you mean, there's probably I segments that's where it's like, uh, let's just skip that part. Them, you mean. And, and of course, it's whatever you guys are interested in. But there's, there's enough there, I think, uh, to continue watching. Uh, last but not least, Kartik, I just do want to mention that uh, I thought NBC Sports did a, a pretty decent job with the transfer deadline day uh, happenings. You had Neil Ashton live from Wembley from the pitch there, uh, Derek Ray hosting, and he seemed to be more comfortable this week with uh, the two Robbies. Uh, no late drama, as usual, uh, which has been par for the course for a couple of years, but uh, overall uh, quite enjoyable. Iconic. So let's move on to uh, TV streaming news. Okay, so uh, let's kick off this week talking about Fubo TV, who I just mentioned in the last segment. They've added more local NBC networks to its streaming service, adding seven more last week to bring their total to 51% of uh, U.S. households. Meanwhile, for over-the-air Fox network, Fubo has access to 75 to Fox and 75% of U.S. households. Okay, Kartik, so according to a World Soccer Talk source, the new streaming service from ESPN called ESPN Plus is currently in production and could be ready for launch by the middle of April or early May. Now, ESPN is actively trying to create original programming that it can stream exclusively on platform. And ESPN, according to my source, is looking at ESPN Plus being the Netflix of sports. 
Now, in terms of timing, uh, there's a lot of talk about MLS Live being rolled up into uh, ESPN Plus. But with the Major League Soccer season starting in March, uh, yet again, um, the streaming service is not going to be ready uh, to include that. So, I mean, again, growing pains, I think, um, with MLS Live and ESPN. And we'll have to wait and see how it all rolls out. There was a um, much-talked-about interview this week, Chris, between Grant Wall and Don Gar which was uh, uh, on the SI plan, the football site. Uh, the interview made Garber look, sound very arrogant, very entitled, made MLS sound very entitled as if they control professional soccer in the United States and everything that's happened that's beneficial is due to them and that they, um, they are um, responsible for, for, for the growth of soccer in the country. Very smug. Uh, there's a lot to pick apart and uh, unpack in this interview. The thing that I would stress is that Garber and MLS have been on the defensive and Sunil Gulati have been on the defensive about Soccer United marketing during this U.S. soccer presidential campaign. It has emerged as the focal point of the campaign, as we saw again with Hope Solo's complaint to the uh, U.S. Olympic Committee the other day, where she uh, went right at it and said, um, youth soccer, women's soccer, other men's professional leagues, no one's getting a fair shake because of uh, the uh, collusion between, as, as she's alleged, between uh, U.S. soccer and Major League Soccer and Soccer United Marketing. So Garber takes issue with Carlos Cordero, who's a longtime board member, who um, I will tell you over the course of seven or eight years has probably been a bigger hindrance to the NASL, going back to when I worked at the league, uh, NASL operating uh, successfully than Garber himself or Sunil Gulati. Uh, I would say Cordero and probably Dan Flynn were our biggest enemies in U.S. soccer, uh, speaking from an NASL perspective. But anyway, Cordero is one of the front runners to succeed Gulati. He has now made Soccer United Marketing's contract an issue. Garber says to Wall in this interview that basically Cordero has, has at the last 10 years, every single uh, thing that's been consummated between U.S. soccer and uh, Soccer United Marketing Cordero was involved in. Um, very defensively, Garber says this. My understanding is a lot of this stuff had been forced on the board of U.S. soccer, had been recommended by Sunil Gulati as the president, or had been arbitrarily done by Sunil Gulati as the president with only token consultation with his board in order to make sure that some MLS relationship continued without RFPs, without any sort of... Um, uh, how would I put it, Chris? Any sort of uh, opportunity to engage other potential media partners or marketing partners. So uh, the interview by Garber was very self-serving. I, um, I I think Grant Wall asked some difficult questions and then failed to follow up on those difficult questions when Garber evaded him with the answers he he gave. Yeah, and that was one of the the bones of contention I had about Grant Wall. The, the way that this interview was set up is that it was a written interview. So it was a written interview with written questions that Grant Wall had, and then he sent it in to, uh, to Garber, and then Garber replied. And I mentioned that to Grant on Twitter, and I think he said that, uh, yes, there were some follow-up questions. But with the format of the interview being, okay, here's a Word document, and here's the questions, and Garber fills out the answers, I'm sure with the help of his PR people to, okay, here's the answers, and then maybe uh, Grant goes back with some written questions. Okay, here's a couple of follow-up questions. Or, or maybe maybe some of them were, uh, you mean, uh, by phone or, or in person, however they may, may have been. That format, format does not, is not conducive to a 
back and forth interview where you're following up and asking some hard hitting questions about some of the the answers he was given. But it is what it is. But I, I thought that this interview was really interesting. And so any listeners that did, uh, didn't get a chance to actually read this, I, I highly recommend it. It's pretty long. I think he goes through and answers about 27 questions uh, from Grant Wall that goes into a lot of detail about SUM and the way that SUM is set up, uh, Soccer United Marketing, and, and its uh, involvement and relationship with um, the U.S. soccer sides and uh, also, of course, of course, Major League Soccer. But I thought I mean, the two th- interesting things to me that I took out of this, Kartik, was one is now before the World Cup, if you looked at the United States uh, Soccer Federation and the value of the U.S. Ne- men's national team and the value of Major League Soccer in, in a combined TV deal, you would look at this and go, okay, uh, the ESPNs of the world, the Foxes of the world, the Univisions of the world, the reason that they want to go ahead and acquire the rights to U.S. soccer – um, you mean again, U.S. Men's National Team and Major League Soccer is really, for the most part, the U.S. Men's National Team because now nah, this is going back a couple of years, but this is a, t- a team that everyone rallies around, gets massive ratings when they're in the World Cup. I mean, even for friendly tournaments, and there's, I mean, everyone loves the United States National Team. Times have changed, but but back, but the, but the way that the questions are answered by Garber is that that MLS and some are calling the shots. And here's how much money we're we're giving to U.S. soccer. Kind of, the, we're we're make, we're the ones that are making the call, making that decision. And to me, that was reversed. And and to me, it was all about what MLS wants and what MLS is is uh, like like you said, very arrogant. But but to me, in this conversation, there's there's no mention of NASL. There's no uh, thinking about NPSL or USL or the US Open Cup. It's all about Major League Soccer and how, according to Garber, that Major League Soccer is the reason that uh, the soccer is so popular in the United States, even though there's so many other factors that have absolutely nothing to do with Major League Soccer. Right, and and th- this is the same uh, uh, sort of nonsense that you and I sat through on Monday, which uh, and people who were at that event might have seen my face as, as that event went on. I was sitting next to you, Chris, but uh, so you saw it. Uh, just the, the, the absolute level of uh, 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 Schaffenfreude and, and, and just uh, arrogance these guys have. Um, look, uh, uh, USL they have a relationship with, but they're not doing as much to promote USL as they could. And there were people... Uh, in USL and at USL clubs who are getting annoyed with uh, being under, uh, you know, being little brother, that might, so there might be some developments there in the near future. And Garber, um, I feel like, is completely defensive about the situation with Soccer United marketing. And they got sloppy and they haven't papered all these deals and they haven't done the things that are necessary to be, uh, to, 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 to actually defend their position without resorting to other things about how, Oh, soccer is so popular because of this. Look at all this, all the things we've done, all the stadiums we've built. And I would concede, I'm not one of these people who says there's been nothing good come, that come from MLS. I think MLS has done some wonderful things for soccer in this country. But like any process, they were part of the process and their model was part of the process to get us to a certain point. And now we're taking on water. Now things are stagnating. We've hit a low point of diminishing returns. One last point I would make about this, Chris, before I move on. Um, part of the reason Carlos Cordero, my understanding is, has taken now a stand against 
um, the Soccer United marketing deal and wanting to kind of revisit that is because he comes from a financial background. He's a Goldman, former Goldman Sachs vice president. He is a guy who was promised to the people on the grassroots level at the youth soccer level, more finances, more money coming into uh, U.S. soccer to promote their programs. What he has determined or the people around him have determined is that U.S. soccer is being shortchanged by that TV deal. So that goes back to everything you just said a few minutes ago. And uh, Cordero may be right. He might be wrong. Maybe he becomes president. He opens up. Uh, he's delinks U.S. soccer from MLS and puts it on the market and they don't get uh, the kind of money they were expecting. Although I think. Um, they probably will get more money out of the deal. That's my opinion. So that's the bone of contention. It all goes back to that television deal that you, you referenced a few minutes ago. Yeah, which is why we bring it up to for, for the listeners who are probably wondering, like, why, why are we talking about this topic? It is extremely important uh, for TV viewing in the United States, uh, these deals and how these deals are done. And, and Hope Solo in that, um, that uh, I guess... Uh, Whatever you call it, she issued kind of a statement saying that uh, complaint. Complaint. Thank you very much. Because it wasn't it wasn't the lawsuit. It was a complaint uh, to the USOC saying she's saying, okay, this money we need transparency. How much of this money in this TV deal is going to the US women's national team? How much of it is going into NWSL or into some of these other uh, from the women's side of the business? And that's something we don't know because there's there's no transparency with this. Um, so, yeah, it's a huge topic. Uh, one last thing to add to this, Kartik. Uh, we'll talk about this more a little bit later. But one of the other things that uh, Don Garber said in relation to – I mean, we kind of jo- joked about it, but, but kind of laughed about it – but is that Don Garber took credit for uh, having the Real Madrid-Barcelona – uh, game being sold out <laughs> in Miami, and he said that that was. I mean, Major League Soccer was was one of the reasons could have that 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 happened. And I'm like, oh my goodness! All right, let's move on. So so <laughs> so uh, we we can't make this up. This, this is oh, look, Neymar, uh, Messi, Ronaldo—they're all better known than any player in Major League Soccer in this country. They're better known than Michael Bradley or Tim Howard. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Oh gosh. Okay, so let's move on. So, so the full market value of Premier League soccer uh, TV and media rights has been predicted to surpass the barrier of ten billion pounds for the first time, signaling that the allure of the top flight uh, TV hasn't lost uh, its luster in the age of digital streaming. Now that translates to about fifteen billion dollars. Um, they're looking. They're projecting. They're looking at uh, the upcoming Premier League rights in the UK and uh, overseas. Of course, with uh, the US, we've got a deal all the way through till was it twenty twenty or twenty twenty one. Um, so that one's already done. But collectively, worldwide, they're looking at uh, a record-breaking deal for the Premier League up to about $15 billion. Now, compare that to the $4 billion uh, offer that MP and Silver made to Major League Soccer for the next round of rights. So it just give, puts it into context in terms of, uh, I mean, $4 billion is a massive offer, and that's something that, uh, you mean, MLS should definitely consider um, in the future when, when those uh, TV rights deals come up for uh, renewal. Yeah, uh, for sure. On that MP and Silva deal, I don't think that that book is closed yet, by the way. Um, Moving on, uh, it seemed like yesterday on Twitter and in the U.S. Soccerverse, we were having the same conversations we normally have on the show because LAFC announced a partnership with YouTube TV for local coverage of uh, LAFC games. Uh, However, it's only available if you live in the L.A. market and uh, English language broadcasts only, and it is a premium uh, service. So 
does the galaxy's traditional model of being on uh, uh, Fox Sports uh, LA uh, or does the uh, LAFC model of being on YouTube um, premium, which carries the day? I posed a question to Alexi Lawless actually on Twitter. You may have seen that. And uh, I think Lawless was hedging, but seemed to think like I seem to think, and, and I presume you, Chris, as well, that there is a definite tr- uh, direction this stuff is going. And LAFC has probably jumped out ahead of that curve. Uh, and uh, the controversy about this yesterday, uh, three, four years from now, we'll look back and think, oh, that, that was pretty smart of them. Yeah, yeah. They're also getting uh, YouTube TV on their shirts as a, a shirt sponsorship deal as, as part of this. It, it's great. Yeah. It's great news for YouTube TV. I mean, it's a great way to get their, their name out there and to have people that aren't familiar with the service uh, consider it. Uh, of course, if you live in the LA market, that's fantastic. If you live outside the LA market, uh, not so much. Um, I'm guessing that uh, it'll be s- similar to the MLS Live deal or the ESPN Plus deal, where you'd still be able to access uh, these these broadcasts uh, with those uh, paid services. I have to ask a question, which is for Direct Kick on Direct TV, which I used to get for MLS. Uh- yeah, I might subscribe this year. It kind of depends year to year whether I subscribe. Uh, what happens with these games, which are obviously being broadcast uh, on a non-television platform? How do they uh, – because w- what would happen with direct kick is, Chris, they would just turn on the Fox or Comcast Sports, you know, regional sports net that's covering uh, – they would just flip that channel on, right, for the two hours of the, of the MLS game. Yep. So I wonder how this impacts that because there's no channel to flip on on the direct TV um, direct TV program guy. There's no YouTube TV. Yeah. So maybe LAFC is off that package, which devalues that package, presumably. Yeah, hopefully Major League Soccer has thought about this and hopefully they can uh, take the stream and, th- and then put that through and, and have that available through that package. But uh, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. The, the news just broke yesterday, but it, it's still exciting news. And I, I wouldn't be surprised too if we see some copycats and maybe Direct TV now or Slain TV do try to do something similar. Uh, in other markets, but uh, it, it's a good idea. Moving on, uh, BBC Sports has retained the rights to show Premier League highlights for a further three years. Uh, that's through 2022 in the UK. Uh, that means uh, Match of the Day will continue with uh, Gary Lineker hosting and uh, one of the most popular uh, highlight shows uh, in the world, really. It's been around so since, what, the 50s or 60s yeah. and uh, continues to be a, a staple of uh, UK television. I talked to somebody this week about this uh, in the industry who told me uh, match of the day has been impacted by the ability to get uh, snap highlights uh, from uh, the 3 p.m. UK kickoffs on various uh, web services legally in the UK. So um, we're so used to getting things instantly in the U.S., right? Even when I've traveled to India, you get things uh, instantly. And I was transported back to uh, reality the times I've been in the UK on a match day. But uh, an industry source this week told me uh, upon the, the uh, signing of the steal, hey, uh, match of the day is not what it used to be because people people would tune into match of the day, not necessarily for the analysis mm-hmm. of the pundits, but because it was the only place they could see clips from these matches. Now that's not the case anymore. So uh, watch this space. Let's see if the if this the value of uh, – the bumper rights, which is what BB, the BBC has now had for some time, goes down uh, after this three-year cycle. All right. And then one more news story before we move on to the next uh, segment, Kartik. 
Yeah, Seb Salazar and Herc Gomez, two of our favorites here at World Soccer Talk, going to the FIFA World Cup in Russia to cover the Mexican national team, El Tri in English. So that should be uh, good coverage. And uh, Chris, this is what I think you and I have been talking about for months or maybe years now. ESPN can still provide the newsy side of the World Cup, even though they don't have the rights. And uh you know, yeah, I, I know with, with Salazar and Gomez there, I'll probably watch their coverage pre and post game rather than boxes. Yeah, this is huge, Kartik, really. I, I think you wrote a story maybe a month ago, two months ago, that uh, ESPN could be a place to go for World Cup uh, analysis uh, rather than Fox. And we saw that from the, the FIFA World Cup draw is that uh, the, the live FIFA World Cup draw had on Fox about 61,000 viewers. The post-draw analysis... I had uh, 120,000 people watching it on ESPN. So people look at ESPN as really kind of a really kind of a thoughtful and a place for analysis with some some great talent. And for ESPN to send Seb Salazar and Hercules Gomez to Russia to cover Mexico in English, that's that's huge. And I think that's uh, I mean Salazar and Gomez to me are probably two of the most uh, interesting and informative people to cover El Tri and you look at the Fox crew and go, okay, uh, this Mariana uh, Trujillo, I'm sorry for the mispronunciation, but uh, also uh, who else is there? Fernando Fiore. Trujillo is there. You've got Francisco X Rivera. Um, I think Mariano Trujillo is, 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 is decent. I mean, I I think he's given some good uh, analysis, but I I mean, the comfort level we have with Salazar and and Herc, and I think most people uh, look when I when I talk, I thought maybe we were ahead of the curve with these two guys. But when I talk to people in the game now, they 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 tell me how good they think Hercules Gomez is, how how unafraid he is and how um, he's breaking some important stories and giving some key analysis. And uh, everybody just raves about Seb Salazar. Um, It it went from uh, back in. uh, May or June of last year telling people, hey, you should watch this guy. You should keep an eye on this guy to everybody now saying, yeah, yeah, Salazar is one of the best guys we've got in, in the business in the U.S. So uh, ESPN, huge advantage, in my opinion. It's And it you could say it's a theory, but again, I go back to the draw, to the day of the draw and the r- rating for the ESPN uh, FC special that aired on ESPN2 versus Fox's post-draw coverage. And uh, there were more people watching ESPN. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be one to watch for sure. And it'll also be interesting to see what Fox does, um, who they're sending out to cover the, uh, the Mexican national team. We still don't know. All right, moving on to TV ratings. Uh, we've got a few numbers that have come in. We've got uh, It was FA Cup weekend, so the numbers for the FA Cup matches usually aren't as big as uh, Premier League, actually nowhere, nowhere near. Uh, the big one would be, uh, U.S. men's national team in the friendly against Bosnia and Herzegovina. It's a match that uh, I didn't watch. I wasn't that interested in it, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah I, just, uh, I think a lot of us, a lot of viewers and probably a lot of listeners uh, were in the same situation. But uh, 331,000 viewers on mm-hmm. FS1 on Sunday for uh, a 9.30 to 11.30 Eastern kickoff. I'm actually surprised it was that high and it was an FS1 game, not an ESPN game. So that's a decent number. It shows even in this uh, a time of uh, uh, being in the worst place in, in almost three decades, the U.S. Uh, U.S. men's national team can still draw viewers for random games with a B team 
uh, at a terrible time. Wow. Yeah. That's, I'm, I'm surprised by the number. I expected about 100,000, honestly. Yeah, and, and in some ways too. I mean, I think for the U.S. men's national team now, it's it's almost like a scouting um, uh, yeah. trip in terms of watching some of this younger talents coming through and seeing some uh, up-and-coming stars. Um, but yeah, oh well. <laughs> I, I don't think I missed much. I, I heard it was a pretty boring game. Uh, listen to the mailbag this week. We've got uh, a few... Um, messages uh, this first one is from rob keith and he sent in this email he says a few weeks ago i contacted you on twitter and asked about eredivisie rights uh, for the dutch league in the u.s and you mentioned that oz.com may have acquired the rights so i decided to check it out so i wanted to give you an update on the site uh, i signed up uh, using their offer of a free 30-day trial uh, but to date they haven't put any new fixtures on the site the only matches uh, available are replays from december I checked around kickoff time on uh, January 21st, and uh, not a single stream was made available, including the biggest game of the weekend, which was uh, Ajax against uh, Feyenoord. The site appears to, to own the rights to the Scottish Premiership and the Belgian League as well, but uh, it isn't available in the US. The website interface is also extremely confusing. In short, the website isn't worth it. I cancelled my free trial, but still have access for the entire month, so I'm going to continue to check it out and see if there are any matches available. Hopefully they get it together. Uh, I'm not optimistic based on this experience. I appreciate the work that you guys put in, and I look forward to your podcast every week. Well, thanks, Rob, for the update. This is really helpful because um, I've reached out to Oz.com uh, a couple of times, uh, no response, and I'm trying to figure out whether or not the site is even legal or not. Uh, also, I looked into, did some research, and the, the website is based in Iceland, or the company's based in Iceland. So again, I don't know if it's just a, uh, a pirated site or what, but... Um, I guess we still don't know. But if any other listeners are listening that uh, have some intel on this, uh, please let us know. Now, the next one is uh, an email that came in through from uh, Julio. And uh, he said, uh, the, la the latest episode of the podcast characterized the Guardian's investigation of the Phil Neville appointment for England's national team, uh, women's team, as a crusade and ridiculous. I was extremely disappointed in this. Uh, the Guardian is doing due diligence in asking legitimate questions about Phil's managerial qualifications and background that the Fleet Street media would be uh, asking of men appointed to lead the men's national team. The dismissal of the critics uh, and most of the media's lack of security of Phil gives me the impression of an old boys club uh, mentality since many people in the media know and, uh, and like Phil. Uh, given the FA's bungling of the Ineolia Aluko, uh, Mark Sampson affair, uh, given the FA the benefit of the doubt is naive to say the least. I'm really disappointed in the World Soccer Talk podcast just giving Phil a pass. And and, and, that re and that's really kind of pointed at me, Kartik. I was the one that said that um, the Guardian went on a crusade. I, I'm looking at this as... I'm, I'm, I'm not looking at the background, but I'm looking at this as just strictly a managerial uh, appointment and looking at a manager that has experience as an assistant manager and uh has been appointed and uh not uh, yes there's a lot of baggage that goes with that and there's a lot of um in terms of uh, making sure you're interviewing the right candidates and there's a process that the fa didn't follow uh my issue was more about the crusades from the guardian uh, or apparent crusade from the guardian where they just kept on going on and on and on about this and um now, Kartik, I did some, a little bit of research after I got this uh, email, but uh, any guesses how many articles The Guardian published in their, uh, in their investigation about this uh, Phil Neville incident? Uh, 
Well, it was at least six because I read at least six articles about it. So I think it was, uh, I'd say a dozen. It was, it was 12. It was 12, yeah. 12 articles. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing, though, too. It just it seemed that they really hooked into this topic uh, more so than others. And to me, well, it went overboard. Well, I, look, I, I, yeah, I, I want to speak out on this because I am, I am a person of a leftist political persuasion. I've been involved in, in, in feminist causes. I've been involved in, in, in these sorts of things through the years. But to me, there is an overkill constantly now on the Guardian football pages about ex- issues of sexism in football, issues of uh, – of uh, racism in football, issues of homophobia in football, issues of um, uh, uh, these sorts of kind of um, identity leftist issues that um, does a disservice because, you know, the one or two really good uh, Marina High columns or, 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 or whoever is good, th- that, that makes the point. You don't have to have this constant drumbeat of, of all of these Guardian writers piling on to the point where you then get symp- you get sympathetic for um, the subject, in, in this case, Phil Neville, and in previous cases, guys like Dave Whelan, etc. Right. So um, I, I uh, or Malky Mackay, etc. I, I mean, I just um, I, I, I don't know. I think that they they have um, they have a, a an agenda to promote kind of an identity and a political ideology that knows no end within football. And uh, that does a disservice to the causes that they're promoting because they are the extremists uh, that uh, then the other side, the side that we're trying to get to change their attitudes and their ways and their cultural views of, of, of uh, their dated cultural views of how things uh, should be done in a modern society, then dig in. So, yeah, I, 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 I this is not the first time this has happened. I mentioned the Malky Mackay thing, Dave Whelan. I'm sure if you gave me five minutes, I could come up with another half dozen examples of the Guardian uh, Guardian an observer doing this yeah i just thought it was overkill uh moving on uh I, actually this is this comes from one of the articles you wrote uh, this past week Kartik, about the fa cup rights uh in the united states and i highly recommend it to for listeners it's uh it's on the homepage of worldsoccertalk.com it goes into more detail in regards to the fa cup rights for uh next season move, moving forward and the likelihoods that uh it could be going to a streaming only platform and it discusses many of the uh, streaming providers that uh, could be interested uh, or, or actually um, that we know are interested. This comes from a weird beer guy, and he sent in this tweet. He says, uh, streaming will be the downfall of sports in the United States. Too many issues with crappy service, uh, servers and bandwidth to make all matches streaming. All of your streaming services still need work. And I have great internet speeds. Most of these matches come on and um, in, in the morning when most of the sports networks are showing reruns of, or re-airs of Talking Heads. Live matches, regardless of who is playing, are better than any reruns of Talking Heads. Uh, that I agree with. Um, but the movement, the, the, the industry, every, with the way that everything is moving, it, it's moving to streaming, uh, everything streaming, except for your, your big, I mean, your big, massive events like the world cup uh, i mean even champions league is moving to streaming so uh, except for isolated games but um that's the way that everything is moving moving towards and then one more patrick uh, craig's uh, sent in this tweet he says um the fa cup in the u.s is a tough sell for most networks little value from distribution and ad sales plus challenging periods i mean periods of time uh Toss in small unknown teams and no Premier League clubs until the later rounds, and there's not much uh, to leverage. 
Streaming makes sense as the FA could get the rights fee, although at a cost of reach. And that goes into Kartik, what we've been discussing quite a bit, especially in your article, that um, it, it's a challenge. It, it is one of those challenges where the rights fees are going up, but then it's getting harder and harder to actually, I mean, the actual number of TV subscribers are going down. And um, I think that's why a lot of this is moving to streaming, where a lot of companies are looking at they can actually probably make just as much money, or that's probably the best way to make money, um, than put it on TV and getting very little um, in, in ad sales. Now, listeners, if you do have any questions for us or any feedback or uh, you want to want us to read out, out anything on air, send it to web at worldsoccertalk.com. You can tweet us at worldsoccertalk or hit us up on Facebook at facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. Now, Kartik, let's move on to our featured topic of the week. Uh, for listeners, this past Monday, uh, Major League Soccer announced that uh, it has added Miami as an expansion team. Uh, both Kartik and I were at the, uh, the media event, and uh, I was there for the, the press conferences afterwards and uh, did some interviews with uh, Don Garber, uh, David Beckham, um, Marcelo Clare, and many others. And um, I wanted to get your thoughts, Kartik, first, and, and my thoughts, too, about this, uh, this Miami MLS event, and also talk about um, some of the things that we learned uh, afterwards, which have a big impact and a big factor on TV, uh, TV deals, etc. So first of all, let me kick off um, by saying that this event was about an hour. I think it was an hour and five minutes. And it was like a pep rally. It was, uh, it was loud. It was, uh, it was, you mean, a lot of nothing. Uh, it was about one hour presentation that could have been distilled down to about two minutes of actual news. Uh, of course, um, the uh, Don Garber and, and others, uh, and David Beckham, of course, introduced the, uh, the new investors for Miami MLS. And they went into their stories and when it talked about uh, how great the, the city of Miami is, etc. And, and for those people that have already seen the, the media event, I won't go into any more details than that. But the, the most important things that com- came out of this is that there was not one word about the stadium, not one word in that entire one hour and five minute uh, media event or, or whatever type of event you want to call it. It was a mixture of media plus local celebs plus uh, fans. Um, also, there was no confirmation uh, that the team had actually been added to Major League Soccer. And this was the, bi- the, big, the big mistake was that uh, there was like, Major League Soccer, welcome to Miami. Miami, welcome to MLS. But no confirmation. This was the same type of thing we had heard four years ago in a similar press conference that had been held in downtown Miami. But no confirmation, no clarification that actually Major League Soccer had added uh, Miami as a team. We didn't find that out until afterwards to get confirmation, that clarification that yes. Now, this is us in isolation, only being at this event and not seeing articles or press releases or anything else. We were just listening to the words. And one more thing, too, Kartik, is that there was no mention for this in the entire one-hour um, event when the team would actually launch. And, and, and the, 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 for anyone that went to this event and walked away from it and didn't go to any of the press conferences afterwards, they, they would have missed so much information. And the best example I have of this, uh, Kartik, is that Ray Hudson was there from Being Sports. And on Monday night on The Extra... They were talking, there was one of the lead, lead stories talking about Miami finally gets an MLS team. And Ray Hudson was talking about, yeah, we don't know when this team is going to launch. 
uh, we don't know the, the, the team name, we don't know the team colors. And, and yes, the team name and team colors we didn't know. But uh, when the team is launching, we did find out, but post post event we found that in the press conferences afterwards but ray hudson had gone to the event and once it was done he was gone i mean back to the back to his home or back to the studio so from a uh, informational basis this was i wouldn't say a disaster but it was it was it, it was embarrassing i thought kartik yeah it was there was no substance to it at all it was a pep rally it again was geared towards the assumed naivety of soccer fans in this country and uh, soccer media in this country. So um, I, I think that maybe take a step back to some of the earlier discussions we had and something I did not interject in there when we talked about Garber having a very dated view, a two-decade-old view of, of soccer in this country or the soccer landscape. There is an assumption among um, among. MLS executives that they can they have a canvas and it's a blank canvas and they can paint the canvas uh, about soccer in any way they want and the consumer uh, being the fans uh, here in South Florida or or the media covering this event will 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 eat it up any way that they they paint it and that's not the case anymore that that was more so the case in in 2008 the last time they tried uh, uh, the, the, to put a team in Miami and I sat. Uh, uh, at a press conference uh, in Mar- Marcelo Clare's office and, dis- and 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 heard some of this same stuff. And then in 2014, when uh, you and Josh Tomlinson covered that event for us at World Soccer Talk, I, I was uh, up in Tallahassee that week. But it, it was very much the same thing. The problem is now people who cover the sport and watch the sport are more sophisticated. So, um, yeah, I, I thought there was a lot of hype. Uh, uh, okay, we finally found out after the fact after the press event that uh, um, Miami had in fact been admitted as a new MLS uh, quote franchise, uh, since that's what they are at MLS. Uh, and uh, uh, we heard the term franchise over and over again, which just offends me because th- these are supposed to be clubs. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I it, it was, a, it was a lot of uh, glitz and glamor, but look, I think um, if you assess this, Chris, this team, we can't, have the metric of what happened in Portland or Orlando or Kansas city or any of these other markets and compare it to Miami, because I don't think attracting fans and um, creating an, uh, creating a, a supporters culture or um, being accessible to the community is really their top priority with this club. I think this is about TV contracts as Garber admitted to you uh, uh, after the press conference uh, in, in the in the one-on-one sessions and in, in the mixed zone. Um, this is about uh, the outside perception of MLS to people in Europe and South America. This is about sponsorship deals. Um, so uh, we can say, look, they only had 30 or 35 supporters in the Southern Legion at this thing. It, it wasn't like in Orlando where a thousand people showed up at the airport to greet Kaka when he came to town. And, and hundreds of people came to greet Tom Dwyer, of all people, when he came to town. Uh, it's not like that. It's not like Kansas City. It's not like Portland. There is a different metric. Will this team be successful in engaging the South Florida community? Um, I don't, I'm not sure it will be, uh, which is the metric everybody uses to push back on this team. But I come to the conclusion from talking to people around MLS also, that really doesn't matter. If the stadium is half empty, it's not going to matter that much. 
Okay, this this is about other things, um, and um, it remains to be seen if those other things uh, uh, outweigh. Uh, the, the potential roadblocks and, and trouble they have in, in generating supporters. Yeah, that, that's a good, good point, Kartik, because I, I did ask uh, Beck, um, Beckham, <laughs> Don Garber, uh, briefly, just um, kind of a one-on-one, is that how much of a factor is Miami, Fort Lauderdale being one of the largest uh, TV markets in the United States without a Major League Soccer team? How much of that is an impact um, having, you mean, adding Miami as, as, a, as a team, as a franchise? And he said it's very important. He said that uh, especially with the new TV deal coming up and the new TV deal, which is going to be 2022, I believe it is, uh, the negotiations for that will start in 2021. Let me, let me point out something uh, real quickly on this. Okay, we, we think in terms of English language a lot. Miami-Fort Lauderdale is the third largest Hispanic household television market in the country, only behind New York and Los Angeles. Or Los Angeles is one, New York is two. Uh, and that Univision deal where the numbers have been, you know, we've tracked the numbers on that. They're, they're, they're okay, mm-hmm. but they're nowhere near Liga Mekis numbers for Univision. Uh, I think that has a big, Miami is a big part of uh, trying to make sure Univision re-ups with uh, Soccer United Marketing and, and MLS. Yeah, big, big time, especially kind of bilinguals or I mean, imagine yeah. if there was a Miami team. I mean, there's going to be one, but imagine that, that that rolls out and you have a couple of stars on the team. I mean, the, those ratings... Uh, not just even Miami and Fort Lauderdale, but you look at uh, Hispanic uh, areas of the United States would would definitely get a huge bump in, uh, especially on Univision, and 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 also on Fox and on, also on ESPN. But but that's the thing though too is that the the deal, the negotiations for the the new TV deal will start about 2021. This team uh, in Miami will launch in 2020. So the timing really, to me, this, this is, like you said, Kartik, this is more about the business side. Um, you have to be in the Miami market. Now, if you're a Heineken and you've got this uh, interna- well, international ad campaign and you go to the U.S. and say, okay, Major League Soccer, we want to go ahead and get, get this new campaign into the homes across the United States. And Major League Soccer says, well, actually, Miami, Fort Lauderdale, we don't have a team there and uh, we're working on it. And I mean, that's a massive market, especially for uh, a Spanish speaking audience that you're not in. And now they're in, which is great news. At the end of the day, Kartik, I'm, I'm glad that this team is, is joining Major League Soccer uh, from a local level, from a personal level. I'd love to have a team to go and support. I just think in terms of how this uh, event was um, focused, it was, I mean, so much hype. I mean, there was so much hype in this thing. It was like 98% hype, 2% of actually real details. And the real details, that's the part that worries me the most, is that they don't have a stadium lockdown. And even if if they get the stadium lockdown, then there's the issue of making this a success. And, and like you said too, Kartik, even if it's half-empty stadiums, uh, it's still going to be effective for Major League Soccer on a business point of view, uh, on a business level, and and of course on on a, on a club level, they're going to be worried about uh, the perception of having half filled stadiums. But it is what it is. It's it's Miami. It's a, it's a very fickle sports market. Um, so I think it's a it's a slam dunk for for Major League Soccer. It's a huge task for Miami uh, to make this work. Uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens. The other thing about this, Okartic, too, I must uh, add, is the timing of this, this announcement 
was quite peculiar. And that was a question that I had uh, for Major League Soccer. I went ahead and uh, requested comments. Um, I didn't hear back from them. But I asked them, like, why rush this decision? Why, why make this announcement now? Why not wait until July once you have the, uh, the court ruling that comes out uh, to determine whether the final piece of land that uh, Miami needs uh, to build a stadium has been uh, approved or not? And um, no response. But any thoughts from your side in terms of why announce this now at this stage? Yeah, Columbus, uh, the U.S. soccer election, uh, um, political pressure on the city, of, uh, on on um, on or, or local pressure with the Moss brothers on those who are trying to uh, create a problem in the court system for. Uh, Beckham's group, uh, or, or now the Moss group, to uh, to acquire those final parcels of land to build the stadium. So I think the timing was strategic. I don't think it was uh, because the deal just got done. I think there was, there was three factors. Uh, uh, MLS is having a, hor- a, a really difficult time redirecting the conversation away from Columbus. I, I think this uh, uh, certainly might have helped for a few days, but um, long term, probably doesn't. Look, if Columbus does ultimately move, they're never going to be able to get past that. Right, and a lot of people are are not going to look at the league this way yeah. um, ever again. Well, it doesn't matter how many announcements like this they have. Yeah, well, well, that's that, that's the thing though too about about Columbus is that this decision in Miami does put that in context because I, I th- I'm sure what's going to happen is that uh, I mean Miami's been awarded a team. Okay, now the move to go ahead and move um, the team in Columbus to Austin. Is likely going to happen, although there's still chances it, it could change. But it's likely going to happen, and then the next the next shoe that drops then is that, is that Cincinnati will likely be awarded um, the next team in you mean in that area, so that kind of replaces the Columbus, and it's 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 all orchestrated. It's all part of a plan. It's all uh, from a business perspective on, on what's best for Major League Soccer and for their owners. And uh, and the Miami is just an important part. That's kind of the first thing that needs to happen for these other things to happen right afterwards. So, yeah. So so stay tuned. I'm sure over the next coming months, um, there's going to be more announcements and more big deals. But uh, this one seemed to be rushed, and, and that's the thing too. I mean, one more thing on this Kartik is that Major League Soccer all along, Don Garber too, in his uh, State of the League address in 2014, said he was not going to confirm Miami as a team until the stadium was uh, finalized. The stadium is not finalized, so right. they went against their words. Um, they, it's, it's a risky proposition because if the Overtown thing falls through, which is unlikely, it, it should pass. But if that f- fall, uh, fell through, then it's back to the drawing board. It's like, okay, now where do you go? I mean, there's, there's only there's not a lot of uh, space available, and uh, real estate value is extremely high. Uh, we're back to the drawing board. We're back to where we were four years ago, where we're just trying to find a location. And it may happen, but it, it could be that uh, Miami FC or Miami, Miami MLS team, whatever it's going to be called, is going to be playing in temporary stadiums for not just 2020, but 2021, 2022, who knows how long. And I think in some ways that uh, Major League Soccer is okay with that uh, for the short term. Obviously not for the long term, but short term because that's going to help them out on the TV well, side. Let me let me explain an intervening event that happened also in the state of Florida in 2013 when Mark Abbott came to Orlando and got the deal signed off on by local officials. Uh, Orlando City was supposed to have uh, county and and uh, municipal support for the building of their stadium. 
they broke ground at a ceremony I was at in uh, 2014 uh, on a plot of land where the stadium wasn't eventually built. Okay, right. and they ended up playing two years at the Citrus Bowl when they were only supposed to play a half a season at the Citrus Bowl. I, I think MLS now realizes, okay, if they hold Miami to this standard, uh, they really didn't hold Orlando to it because Orlando uh, had a plan, and then the plan completely fell by the wayside. Uh, the majority owner of, of Orlando uh, FC, or uh, sorry, Orlando City SC, uh, had to uh, Flavio da Silva ended up having to self fund that stadium. So, and on a different plot of land, yes, it's in the same neighborhood, but it was not the same place they broke ground in the same place they were supposed to put the stadium. Um, I think that maybe they backed off that because of what happened in Orlando, or they backed off on it very cynically, we could say, because they need to redirect the message from the, the debacle that is Columbus, which is a debacle for them yeah. uh, of epic proportions and of their own making. Yeah, it's a PR nightmare. And, and and don't get me wrong, too. I am extremely happy that uh, MLS is coming to Miami. I just have concerns. I have just concerns about the stadium and not just even stadium, just in terms of transportation, parking, I mean, just the accessibility of, of making this a, a success. Now, that's issues that the club and Major League Soccer are going to have to figure out themselves. But uh, as somebody who's passionate about the sport and wants to see it succeed, I want to make sure that they're making the right decisions and making sure that this, this is going to be a long-term success. All right, Kartik, let's move on and uh, close this show out. Um, so where can listeners find you on the internet if they want to catch up on your latest uh, interviews and uh, articles, etc.? KKFLA737 on Twitter uh, and here at worldsoccertalk.com and other places uh, on, the, on the net. Just Google me. All right. Well, thank you for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, uh, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, AudioBoom, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on iTunes. And Kartik, what should they do? Enjoy your football. <laughs>